Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, April 28th, 2023, the 828th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's get started with a headline that if you follow me on Twitter, you will know I am bound to enjoy. This is from Zero Hedge this morning. Ex-U.S. Army PSYOPs expert. Fox News fired Carlson to maintain semi-lobotomized, quasi-retarded population. These comments come from a U.S. counterterrorism expert named Scott Bennett. 
He said Carlson posed too much of a threat to institutional power because he turned Americans into proper researchers and thinkers. Now, I'm not sure the credit for that goes to Tucker Carlson, but he was the beneficiary of that happening. And he introduced some of those ideas into the mainstream, which, of course, is helpful. He said Tucker offered an intellectualism, truthfulness, and an analytical depth that no other news personality has ever done in the history of the United States as far back as I can remember. And in terms of the mainstream media, he may well be correct about that. Tucker was certainly doing a different brand of nightly news show relative to what we are accustomed to seeing on TV. Tucker needed to be silenced because he represented too big a threat to the powers and principalities, institutions and agendas that seek an unlightened, uninformed, semi-lobotomized, quasi-retarded population that do not question, do not research, do not analyze, but simply digest and follow instructions, according to Bennett. Tucker Carlson also exposed the fraud and money laundering racketeering crimes of FTX and the Democrat Party in Ukraine involving the United States government. He exposed the U.S. biochemical labs in Ukraine and their connection to the Democrat Party, President Barack Obama, Vice President Biden, Hillary Clinton, George Soros, Bill Gates, and other U.S. government agencies and pharmaceutical companies. He said Carlson's anti-regime rhetoric, quote, could no longer be tolerated by the corrupt American media and political establishment and that Tucker's exit signals the death of American media. There's also another interesting note in there. Bennett suggested that Senator Chuck Schumer had threatened to utilize the CIA and the FBI to deploy secret government operations against Tucker to get him off air unless he was fired. Schumer previously called for Carlson to be taken off air after he broadcast footage showing the January 6th riot leaders were actually allowed into the Capitol and chaperoned around by authorities. It's also interesting that one of the reasons being given for Tucker Carlson's firing is a lawsuit filed against him by a former show producer named Abby Grossberg, who claimed that she was bullied and subjected to sexist and anti-Semitic harassment. But it turns out she never even met Tucker Carlson. So it sounds like there was indeed something brewing behind the scenes, and we'll see if we get more information on that. But Scott Bennett's point is exactly right. The mainstream media wants a population that doesn't question, doesn't research, doesn't analyze. Just repeat the slogans over and over again. He says their goal is to create an unenlightened, uninformed, semi-lobotomized, quasi-retarded population. And it turns out that's exactly what we have. Though the portion of the population that is unenlightened, uninformed, semi-lobotomized and quasi-retarded grows smaller every day. So that's the good news. And of course, because all of those people have as their only weapon the ability to express what they're told is the consensus in the loudest way possible to create the illusion of actual consensus. So the ones who have not woken up yet are going to continue getting louder so that they can not only pretend that their position is still taken seriously by a lot of people, but it means they can still inflict reputational harm on people who are beginning to wake up and afraid to express themselves 
for fear of dealing with all of that. And I get it. It's not fun to hear a bunch of brain dead communists telling you that you're the stupid one and you're a jerk and you're mean and you're clueless and you're an occult and blah, 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 blah. But it's better than having your society destroyed. And you have to remember that these people wore masks in their cars. So you don't have to feel stupid relative to them and you can't let them make you feel that way. In fact, you shouldn't be taking them seriously at all, especially when they're strangers on the Internet. For all intents and purposes, they do not exist in real life. Maybe they're real people on the other side of their messages. Maybe. But you don't know them and you're not going to know them. And if they cared about what the truth was, they would have checked by now. You're not going to convince them. So if you want to spend your day in one of their totally logic-free debates, go ahead, but you're probably just wasting your time. When someone presents themselves to you as semi-lobotomized and quasi-retarded, it's best to just notice that and move on. Now, we've been watching over the last few weeks as banks around the world collapse, and one has been the talk of this week, that's First Republic. So it's worth noting where that whole situation currently stands, according to the mainstream media, at least. This is CNBC this morning. First Republic most likely headed for FDIC receivership, sources say. Shares drop by 50%. Shares of First Republic dropped sharply on Friday as hopes dimmed for a rescue deal that could keep the bank afloat. Sources told CNBC's David Faber that the most likely outcome for the troubled bank is for the FDIC to take it into receivership. The stock slid 50% and was halted for volatility multiple times. The stock has fallen more than 90% this year as investors have lost confidence in the bank after two regional lenders failed in March. Other banks are being seized by the FDIC for potential bids on First Republic if the bank was seized by the regulator, sources told Faber. There is still hope for a solution that doesn't include receivership, according to those sources. First Republic is a regional bank that has focused on high net worth individuals and their businesses, including offering mortgages at low interest rates to those customers. Those mortgages, as well as other long term assets on the bank's balance sheet, have fallen in market value since the Fed began hiking rates last year, making investors worried that the bank would have to book a sizable loss if forced to sell those assets to raise cash. It'll be interesting to see if something is announced over the weekend as it was a few weeks ago with Silicon Valley Bank. So we have the financial collapse in the banking industry. We have the collapse of the regime fiat dollar branded as the US dollar around the world. This week, China's yuan took over the dollar as the most used currency in Chinese foreign trade. And Argentina agreed to pay for imports in the Chinese yuan rather than the U.S. dollar. And we also have a massive financial problem at home as the debt ceiling takes center stage again. This is from Politico yesterday. White House regroups after McCarthy's debt ceiling success. Now, Politico has changed their headline. The original headline was White House regroups after McCarthy's debt ceiling success stuns Biden administration. 
But the regime didn't like hearing that the Biden administration had been taken off guard. So they got rid of that part of the headline. President Joe Biden spent four months challenging Republicans to do one simple thing when it came to the debt ceiling, show a plan. Now House Republicans narrow Wednesday passage of a debt limit bill packed with spending cuts and conservative priorities is forcing Biden to shift tactics. That vote is kicking off a new phase in the high stakes standoff that will test Democrats ability to stay united and follow through on their threats to make vulnerable GOP lawmakers pay for supporting a politically toxic plan. And this is the story that we're getting from the mainstream media that the Republicans are actually in this weak position. Joe Biden wants a clean debt ceiling raise with nothing else to it. He just wants to raise the debt ceiling. No trade-offs whatsoever. And Republicans have offered to raise the debt ceiling, but with all of these trade-offs. And we'll get to all of that in a second. But the media is failing massively to convince the American public that our lives depend on the debt ceiling being raised. They've been trying the same story now for 10, 15 years. They tell us how bad it's going to be. The U.S. is going to lose its credit rating in the world. What we really need to do is commit to printing ever more fiat regime bucks for all of time. We can just keep on printing them and printing them and printing them. The White House and congressional Democrats are preparing to ramp up attacks on House Republicans over the bill, targeting swing district members for endorsing policies that would strip investments in their home districts and gutting funding for popular programs. Biden's party insists it's feeling little pressure to now deliver on House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's biggest ask, a true negotiation over the debt ceiling. So they're going to pretend that they're in a position of power. Because these swing district Republicans are going to be in huge danger at home when the Democrats go back and they say, remember all that money we gave you to implement these social justice policies, these woke policies, these environmental policies, these smart city policies, all of it. That's what the money is going out for. They're going to go into these communities and tell the citizens that their Republican representatives are preventing that money from coming into the community. That's the strategy. They think that American citizens are going to react poorly to that. I don't think that's true. I think most American citizens will be like, yeah, we've been telling you guys for a while. We don't want anybody spending money on all this nonsense. But the truth is all of that has over a year and a half left to play out. And the debt ceiling fight, even if it's extended right now, will just come back up next year. This is not a battle they can ultimately win, not at all. More from Politico. Biden is refusing to budge from his demand that Congress pass an unconditional increase to the debt ceiling, betting that he still holds the stronger hand in the face of an economic catastrophe. And while a smattering of moderate Democrats have begun urging the president to actually negotiate with Republicans, the majority of the party seems content with showcasing a GOP bill they see as a self-inflicted wound in swing states. Good luck, commies. But Democrats' public confidence that they're winning the messaging war masks private concerns over how this all ultimately ends and what damage the standoff may do to a fragile, recovering economy that's critical to Biden's case for re-election. The economy is not recovering. It is getting worse. If it was recovering due to Biden's policies, 
people would like Joe Biden and the economy wouldn't be fragile. Biden allies had expected McCarthy's bid to pass a sweeping debt ceiling bill to fail, especially after watching him struggle to win the speakership and quickly abandon his plan to construct a full budget proposal. Even the Republicans understood the skepticism directed at them with the thin majority. And this is very telling. Once it became clear that McCarthy lacked the influence to wrangle his conference, Biden's team reasoned. Republicans would lose most of their leverage and eventually soften their demand for concessions. The White House had harbored doubts about the bill's chances of success even after McCarthy announced plans for a vote, privately questioning whether he could win over the last handful of conservatives trying to push the bill further to the right. So the fake administration thought Kevin McCarthy could not pull together the support in the Republican caucus to get this bill passed. And once that happened, then their leverage would plummet and they would be forced to go with the clean debt ceiling raise. But that didn't happen. The fake administration was depending on the leverage they would gain through Kevin McCarthy's failure, but he didn't fail. They don't have that leverage. So who in the world is going to believe that the Biden administration can get what they want? They're basically already admitting defeat just through the framing of this. No clean debt ceiling is going to pass the House, McCarthy said to reporters on Wednesday as he did a victory lap. In the aftermath of the vote, Biden allies and advisors privately acknowledged that there's no clear endgame to the debt ceiling standoff and that McCarthy's victory makes it more difficult to convince moderate Republicans to back a clean debt ceiling increase for fear of economic disaster. And as I mentioned at the beginning, that is the play. That's their messaging. If you don't do this, we're going to have this economic disaster. They're admitting that now Biden doesn't have any chance of convincing these moderate Republicans to go along with him on that basis. And jumping down to the end, White House officials have kept in close touch with Senate leaders over their plans to maintain Biden's no negotiation posture believing they can still grind enough Republicans down over time, especially as pressure and political attacks on swing district lawmakers begin to mount. Good luck, commies. It's amazing that they even try this. Despite McCarthy's victory on Wednesday, Biden allies noted that he still lost four members on what was effectively a messaging bill and needed Representative George Santos to vote yes and bail him out of potential embarrassment. And of course, Politico thinks that's some kind of slam. Even George Santos. Who cares? Still, there is recognition that the bill's passage means Biden's, quote, show us your plan dismissals will no longer cut it. Aides downplayed the idea that a meeting with Biden represents a direct reward for passing his bill and stressed that any sit down would include other congressional leaders. Biden is also unlikely to meet with Republicans on the issue until May at the earliest, with the House leaving Friday for recess until May 8th. McCarthy allies, though, had said he's willing to fly back to D.C. for such an occasion. So the media is telling all of the villagers, all of the child brains, anyone who will listen, including all the Republican normies who are freaking out in support of the establishment, that Republicans are tempting fate, even thinking about not raising the debt ceiling is just disastrous policy. 
It's going to destroy society. And at some point, honestly, we just need to hear that as a threat. Take it this way. We promise to destroy society unless you do this thing. That's what they're saying. And we've essentially reached the point where those threats are falling on deaf ears. But we're being told that what the Republicans want to do is cut out all of this important stuff. Don't you understand how many people are going to be harmed? It's going to be politically difficult back in your district. These cuts are all going after the most vulnerable. These cuts deny the reality of climate change. And most of all, these cuts are racist. But all of that is missing the most important thing. Here it is. What was uh, getting back just to the death thing what was a little bit disconcerting is I don't know whether it's gaslighting or, or what I call it, but I'm, I'm hearing that you now in this bill, I heard Senator Van Hollen say you're trying to cut and defund law enforcement and you're also cutting all of the border security funds. So I just don't even know how you respond when we're that far apart on both sides and both sides are so willing to demagogue and and you know, ultra mega. That's all I wacko. These are wacko ideas. Uh, if someone should actually uh, have to actually try to get a job to, to you know, to, to receive some things at home. So I, I don't know how you ever come together, Speaker. And I don't know how you, you know, well, the first, I, I, the first thing me I, at CNBC, because we're talking about the full faith and credit of the U.S. government here. The, the thing that you should look at is anytime someone says about the bill, just simply ask one question. Show me where it's written in the bill. Show me where in the bill that it says we cut anything. In the process, we simply go back to the spending levels we were at four months ago. Were four months ago, did a, a number of new border people be hired or cops get hired in that process? The only people who've defunded the police have been the Democrats, openly and willingly. And we've watched what happens in crime in our community. Uh -huh. If you watch and compare what has passed in the House and what has passed in the Senate, there's a big, big <laughs> comparison there. We are simply doing the work that we said the American public we would do. So did you catch that? What they're doing in this debt ceiling negotiation is they're saying that omnibus bill that you passed last December during the lame duck session. Yeah, that's not going to work. We're just going to go ahead and get rid of that if you want the debt ceiling increased. So let's think about what that bill was. This is back at the end of December 2022, right as the Congress was about to leave. Their term had ended. The new Congress was coming in and they chose to sign a one point seven trillion dollar federal spending bill during the lame duck session. This is what CNN said was in there in December. The spending bill represents the final opportunity for Biden and Democrats to put their imprint on government spending before Republicans assume the majority in the House next week. It caps a remarkably productive two years legislatively for Biden, including a COVID-19 relief package, infrastructure bill and a China competitiveness measure. The legislation includes $772.5 billion for non-defense discretionary programs and $858 billion in defense funding, according to a bill summary from Senator Patrick Leahy. That represents an increase in spending in both areas for fiscal year 2023. Now, remember, this was less than two months after the midterms where the Republicans won back the House with one of the main campaign issues being the out of control spending and how it's affecting the economy. 
And then Republicans helped the Democrats to pass this omnibus spending bill. The sweeping package includes roughly $45 billion in emergency assistance to Ukraine and NATO allies, an overhaul of the electoral vote counting law, protections for pregnant workers, and by that they mean the ability to get abortions all over the place, an enhancement to retirement savings rules and a ban on TikTok on federal devices. It will also provide a boost in spending for disaster aid, college access, child care, mental health, and food assistance, more support for the military and veterans, and additional funds for the Capitol Police. So all Kevin McCarthy wants is that spending package taken away, like it never happened. It lays out all this spending for the future, dependent on having the debt ceiling raised again and again. That's what they keep doing. They keep passing more spending measures. And they did it in opposition to the direct and stated will of the American people. Establishment Republicans enabled that. And Kevin McCarthy has it in his power if he uses his leverage and pushes forward with this and doesn't back off due to administration pressure to essentially remove that omnibus plan that passed during the lame duck session. Now, if you're the regime, pushing to get that package passed before the Congress changes hands and you think you've got it all done, well, then your plans continue moving forward and you know that the money is going to be sent to where it needs to go. The full faith and credit of the United States of America, as they always call it, is basically the indentured servitude of the American people. They are making the promise on our labor to continue the never-ending printing of fiat regime bucks. So it kind of changes the picture a little bit as to what's really in play here. The regime was able to push through this omnibus spending bill during the lame duck session to fund all of their ridiculous regime projects around the country and around the world, and all of that might be taken away, conflicting directly with their plans for the future Hence the freak out. It's going to be interesting to see how this leverage plays out. I don't think that there is any chance that Biden gets his clean bill to raise the debt ceiling. I would think that this is the best offer he's going to get. So we might see the debt ceiling raised one more time for a year to make this a big issue next year. But I'm fairly certain Kevin McCarthy can hold his ground at this position and has the leverage necessary to do so. We'll see if he does. Now, we talked earlier in the week about what was happening in Sudan. Yesterday in the House, this is from Blaze Media, there was a vote on removing troops from Somalia. Majorities of House lawmakers in both political parties shot down a measure that would have compelled President Joe Biden to pull all U.S. troops out of Somalia other than troops protecting the American embassy. The text of the measure would have instructed, quote, the president to remove all United States armed forces other than United States armed forces assigned to protect the United States embassy from Somalia by not later than the date that is 365 days after the date of the adoption of this resolution. Minorities from both parties voted in favor of the measure with leftist lawmakers like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Cori Bush joining with conservative legislators like Chip Roy and Thomas Massey to support the concurrent resolution. 
should be noted that Chip Roy and Thomas Massey are two of the very small number of Ron DeSantis endorsers. Overall, 52 Republicans and 50 Democrats voted to yank troops out of Somalia, while a whopping 165 Republicans and 156 Democrats voted against the measure. Got to keep that military industrial complex money flowing. Got to have the troops stationed everywhere. You must protect the empire of the global regime and the United States is the country tasked always to do that. Matt Gates, responding to the vote, said, By a large margin, Congress supports keeping U.S. troops in Somalia. I do not. Most voters probably don't either. And I think Matt Gates is right about that. That's not all Matt Gates has been doing in Congress. In a hearing yesterday with the DOJ Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, and for whatever reason, there are massive problems with the audio. I can't get a good version of it, and I'm not exactly sure why, but luckily, the conservative treehouse covered it in an article today. DOJ Inspector General reveals more than 10,000 federal employees have access to NSA database for surveillance inquiries. Office of Inspector General Michael Horowitz testified yesterday that more than 3.4 million search queries into the NSA database took place between December 1st, 2020 and November 30th, 2021 by government officials and or contractors working on behalf of the federal government. These search queries were based on authorizations related to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. That's FISA. Approximately 30% of those 3.4 million search queries were outside the rules and regulations that govern warrantless searches, what the politically correct government calls non-compliant searches. Additionally, Horowitz also admitted that somewhere north of 10,000 federal employees have access to conduct these searches of the NSA database, a database which contains the electronic data of every single American including emails, text messages, social media posts, instant messages, direct messages, phone calls, geolocation identifiers, purchases by electronic funds, banking records, and any keystroke any American puts into any electronic device for any reason. Did you get all that? Everything you do on your phone and computer is in this database, and you can imagine that it's probably got everything you say in your house around listening devices like Alexa or Siri or any of the other non-existent technological beings you interact with on a daily basis. This is the sort of thing that goes totally unnoticed by communists as they march us into the technocratic dystopia. They don't care because they think the government can't do anything bad to them. They believe that the government is their friend. They don't mind the fact that with all of this data, the government can compile a social credit score and then cut you off from participating in society based on that score, based on your activity as recorded by your own devices, they intend in the future to use this data 
to regulate your ability to participate in society and in the economy, and of course, the public discourse. If we were in a functioning system of government, this is back to the conservative treehouse, by the way, everything would be stopped right now and no conversation would be taking place that was not about this issue. That is the total and complete surveillance state being talked about as if we were discussing what's for dinner. This is beyond jaw dropping. In 2018, conservative treehouse revealed through research of their own documents that FBI and DOJ FBI contractors had done more than 1000 illegal searches using the NSA database, targeting Republican primary candidates from November 2015 through May 2016. These stunning admissions were from the DOJ's own reporting to the FISA court. Few were paying attention. Although the number of illegal search queries were redacted, we know the number is four digits from the size of the redacted text, more than 1,000 and less than 9,999. Yesterday, IG Horowitz outlined that more than 1.1 million illegal searches of this database were conducted in 2021 during the first year of the Joe Biden administration. Additionally, and perhaps more consequentially, to give scope to how the process of total domestic surveillance has expanded, Horowitz now admits in 2021 the number of federal government employees with access to this total metadata collection system now exceeds 10,000 people. Stop the presses. Yes, Congress is talking about this as if there is some level of importance. However, the basic questions are not being asked or have perhaps just become so accepted that legislators have become oblivious to the insanity of it. In order for these search queries to take place, there has to be a housing facility to capture it. Where is all of this electronic data being stored? Why is all of this electronic data being stored? Who is in control of this all-encompassing electronic data collection? Forget the searches for a moment. What act of Congress authorized the capture of this private data collection? essentially electronic intercepts of communication systems that flow throughout our life. The background context here is Congress debating the renewal of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and the power of the DOJ and FBI to intercept American citizen communication and electronic data via the 702 authorizations that permit the NSA database to be searched and queried. If the inspector general is now admitting the FISA laws have been so comprehensively corrupted such that 3.4 million searches by more than 10,000 federal employees and government contractors now have access, there is no way that any reasonably intelligent person should support such reauthorization. Even contemplating this request is absurd, beyond absurd. The United States government is admitting to the public that a total and comprehensive surveillance state is currently in place, and 10,000 federal government agents have the authorization to monitor everything we do. This is admitted and current to right now. Yet people are worried about possible vaccination passports or digital currencies or social credit scores sometime in the future. Have we totally lost connection to the reality of our current condition? And I know I'm basically preaching to the choir when we discuss these things. I imagine that my audience has an understanding of how serious these problems are. It starts with the censorship and expands outward from there. People think that it's only their activity on social media platforms that can get them in trouble. The truth is they have everything you say and do. When you are close to another person, they can tell that your phone is near their phone. 
If you do that a bunch of times, they can tell that you two know each other and you probably talk about all sorts of things. So they know every interaction you have with your devices and your devices are able to inform them about virtually everyone you interact with. They know your location throughout the day. They know who you see. They know what your routine is and where you go. They know everything you buy, who you buy it from and where. And it doesn't even seem like they're concerned that people know it because they know their own supporters won't care as long as the target of all of this seems to be us. But here's the one silver lining on all of this. If they have everything on us, you can imagine that our side at some level has everything on them too. But we need to understand the state of things. This is how they compromise and control normal people if they're willing to fall out of line and they stop supporting the agenda of the regime. And speaking of censorship, this is from the Washington Examiner today. Top Biden agencies hit with subpoenas over social media censorship coordination. Representative Jim Jordan sent subpoenas to the heads of three federal agencies Friday in an effort to expose the Biden administration's alleged coordination with big tech and censorship of opposing views. The subpoenas reviewed by the Washington Examiner were sent to Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, Jen Easterly, who heads the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA, and James Rubin coordinator of the Global Engagement Center, a State Department housed interagency. And the Global Engagement Center has been mentioned and discussed at length in the Twitter files. They come as Republicans, including on the House Judiciary Committee and its weaponization of the federal government subcommittee, accelerate efforts to investigate how the Biden administration and social media companies have remained in close contact regarding content moderation online. Now, I know that pretty much everyone, when they hear stuff like this, their first reaction is to say, well, yeah, we know all this, but why isn't anything being done? Well, this is how things are being done. If we want to rid ourselves of the real problem and not just gather some low level scalps to make us feel better, like things are actually happening, then you have to take the slow route. So you can get all of this information, get everybody on record, present all of that to the public and allow the public to come to the understanding of what the problem really is, how big the problem really is. If you want action to be taken and you want that action to be seen as legitimate in the public and not just a partisan political hatchet job, then you really do have to get all of this on record. The public has to understand what's been going on. And sometimes that requires them to feel it and see it for themselves. It's not at all satisfying when you know all of this has been happening for a long time, but they're setting the pieces in place to actually deal with this. And that's what we need. We heard about Nina Jankowitz and her Disinformation Governance Board under the DHS. Everybody made a big deal about her. She is a ridiculous character trying to fill a ridiculous role. But it was good that the public found out about her. Everybody made a big issue of it. And she was removed from that position. Did that solve the problem? Well, of course it didn't solve the problem. But it probably made a lot of people think that the problem went away. 
They hadn't heard about the disinformation governance board. They weren't aware of government's involvement in censorship. They find out about it. It's new knowledge to them. And in a couple of weeks, she's gone from her position. So what does that tell them? Well, the problem just came up. We just found out about it. As soon as everybody found out about it, the problem was taken care of. Therefore, it's not a problem anymore. And the government's functioning properly. Now, is that any progress at all? Maybe a tiny amount of progress, but nothing relevant, nothing that changes the state of things. So we really can't focus on getting low level scalps. We want to get the entire thing mapped out so the public can understand it. And that all needs to move from the outside into that bubble, into the central narrative. And this is the process of doing that. The stories come around again and again and again and again until everyone has seen the reruns. The people who are still asleep to all of this need to understand what's going on and they're not going to wake up all at one time, but the story will come around again and again and again. They're going to start catching the reruns and their prior position eventually becomes untenable because their beliefs are based on social incentives. Once people no longer think denying the censorship and propaganda regime is smart and an act of loyalty to the regime, once the incentives go away, then people can begin stating honestly what has really happened. Because as the incentives for arguing the regime's position and repeating the slogans diminish, so does the ability to get punished for expressing dissenting beliefs. All of this is in process. Donald Trump had a great speech in New Hampshire yesterday. He is absolutely on point. It is one of the best Trump speeches I have ever watched. He went hard after the regime at every moment, including regime rhinos like Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire. Trump openly mocked him and castigated him for how bad a governor he is right in his own state. And that's exactly what Donald Trump needs to do. Chris Sununu is an establishment rhino pretending to run for president on an anti-Trump platform. There is no reason why Donald Trump needs to act in ways that push Republican unity with people who are explicitly going after MAGA and trying to destroy Trump and demoralize his base, which just happens to be the overwhelming majority of Republicans. Trump mentioned how he's dominating Ron DeSantis and the other primary candidates. Recent polling has Trump 40 points ahead of DeSantis. And DeSantis may end up being a fine guy and a fine governor. And if all of this is a smoke show created by the regime to try to elevate DeSantis, try to harm Trump, try to divide the party or whatever, Ron will bow out. Ron will endorse Donald Trump. And if Ron does all that, then maybe he's the guy in 2028, but he's not the guy in 2024. And there's no chance he's going to be the guy. Many people have begun calling for all the other Republicans to drop out of the primary race and endorse Donald Trump. He is the guy. There's no other guy. No one else has a chance of being the guy. All they can do at this point is attempt to harm Donald Trump. And if you think that's not what's happening, I would suggest you take a look at everything they've said and done for the last six months as this whole online pro DeSantis operation has played out. They're not simply pointing out the differences between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump as if any of those differences 
are significant enough to accept the theft of the 2020 election and support someone other than Trump. They're not doing that. They're going hard after Donald Trump and they're going hard after Donald Trump's supporters, which is what the never Trump contingent always does. They try to make it toxic to associate with Trump and Trump supporters. They are every bit as much part of the hate movement that Democrats are. And when they ultimately lose, when this project ultimately fails, where are they going to go? Well, maybe to the Lincoln Project, maybe they'll stay never Trump and support the Democrat candidate, or maybe the Republican Party plans to rig the primaries and they'll just go on to support whoever the primaries are rigged for. Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire was out there the other day telling everybody that Chris Christie should be seen as a serious Republican contender, the guy who could take down Donald Trump. Seriously, one of the people from the Daily Wire made the case for Chris Christie's viability. So maybe this small contingent that is out there being pro-Ron right now will actually find some other candidate to support, and all of MAGA will immediately leave the Republican Party. But I kind of doubt that. Are they going to grovel? Are they going to pretend once again, like they did in 2016, that they actually didn't say any of those things? That they were really just trying to choose the candidate who had the best chance of winning? Well, that'll be kind of a hard case to make now because all of MAGA has seen what they're doing online. Their entire argument necessitates denying that elections are stolen because otherwise all they're saying is, well, the regime has the control necessary to steal elections. And so we're just going to have to try to get the best candidate that the regime will accept. Well, hey, guys, you've missed the entire point. None of us care about that. We care about the person who's going to take on that regime and dismantle it all the way down to the roots. And that's Donald Trump. And he discussed this at length in his speech yesterday. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office, shortly after I win the presidency, I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It would have never happened. That war would have. I spoke to Putin about it. There was no chance that he would have gone in with me as president. And there was no chance that President Xi of China would have gone into Taiwan. I was the only president in decades who didn't start a war. You know that. Everyone said, oh, he's going to start a war because... Because they said I had that personality to start a war. They remember that? Oh, we can't vote for him. He's going to start a war. No, I used my personality that we didn't have to have wars. And I got out of wars, including knocking the hell out of ISIS. Took over 100% of the ISIS caliphate. 100%. I took over 99% of the ISIS caliphate. I said, all right, we're going home. Let's get our great soldiers. We're bringing them home. And the media starts saying, well, why not a hundred? I said, you know what? We better finish it off because uh, they'll say I left early and we knocked the hell out of them. That was the end of that. We took over a hundred percent. We came home. But now I understand they're rebuilding again because they have no respect for our country. Standing before you today, I am the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent World War III. I promise. It's not going to be a World War III. 
Now, that's a very bold claim. Trump is the only one who can make that promise. I will prevent World War III. Chances are he's already done it based on the work he did while he was publicly recognized as president. And we can see how that's been borne out in reality over the last two plus years of the fake Biden administration's term. The regime's war in Ukraine has been a disaster. They have no chance of winning. And this week we began getting reports about how there are doubts about Ukraine's spring or maybe summer offensive being effective at all. And of course it won't be because their war plans for that spring offensive were leaked by some kid on a gaming site. People need to understand that Donald Trump knows what's going on in the world. He had the best access to information of pretty much anyone in the world while he was president. Whatever level of access to information he has now, it's certainly far superior to whatever the mainstream media has, and it certainly seems to be far superior to whatever the fake administration has. They get caught off guard all the time. They are unable to answer basic questions all the time about military issues. Remember the sky circle? Remember the Afghanistan withdrawal? Remember the ghost of Kiev? Remember the Nord Stream pipeline? How many examples do we need to see that the Biden administration has no clue about any of it? And the funny thing is people want to deny that, but that is actually being slightly nicer to the Biden regime than assuming that they do know what's going on and that they do have full access to information because then it would just be outright incompetence. At least in my interpretation, it's only partially incompetence and partially being completely out of the loop. Donald Trump is not just saying what will happen if he is back in the White House in just a little under two years. He's saying what is already happening. There will be no World War Three. Why? Does the television media continue telling everyone otherwise? Well, that's how you protect the regime. They want a kinetic World War III. They want China involved in a conflict with the United States that might end up with China attacking the U.S. in its own territory. This is literally what their playbook calls for. They destabilize countries through color revolutions. They steal elections. They use war to maintain their power. Of course, that's what they intend to do here, too. And the media talks about it all the time, as do the members of the intelligence community and the military industrial complex, as do members of the uniparty right. All of them talk constantly about an impending World War III. Who's the one person who says that's not going to happen? It's Donald Trump. He knows that's not going to happen. The narrative's going to come. The television's going to tell us war is happening. China is invading Taiwan. It's going to be exactly the same as the Ukraine conflict. It will not be a U.S. war. Taiwan is not an independent sovereign nation, even according to the United States' own policy. And the regime will ultimately be dismantled in Taiwan the same way the regime is being dismantled in Ukraine. There are plenty of things in this world to worry about. Donald Trump is saying very clearly, this isn't one of them. 
That doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the situation. That doesn't mean we don't take it seriously. That doesn't mean we don't keep an eye on what the media and political leaders in the United States are doing relative to this wag the dog effort in Taiwan. It just means that they're going to ultimately fail. And we have more than enough reasons to believe that already, aside from Donald Trump's comments. And I've been talking about this now for well over a year. My opinions on it haven't changed. I'm not just switching over to Donald Trump's position because he said it. I've been saying this. Now Trump's saying this. I take that as confirmation of my position. I'm not just taking whatever Trump says as gospel. This is the thing people really need to understand about our position. We were the same way throughout COVID, by the way, too. The reason I started listening to and respecting Donald Trump and understanding that he was telling the truth where and whenever he could was when I was watching him give daily press conferences during COVID. I was online trying to figure out exactly what was going on all the time. I was looking at the data, not the numbers up on CNN, but the actual data and trying to understand why is so much of the data so bad? And why do they keep using all these figures that the data just simply doesn't support? Why are they telling us lockdowns are a good idea? Why are they telling us masks are a good idea? Why are they putting sick people into nursing homes? Why can't the TV explain any of this? Why are they telling us that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are very, very dangerous? Well, Trump said the opposite of all those things in those press conferences. I was able to figure out the truth on my own, and then I heard it reflected by Donald Trump. That's why I trust him, not because I just take whatever he says as gospel. It's because Donald Trump listens to the voice of the people and then implements the voice of the people into what he's doing. This is what we're supposed to want out of our political leaders. They're supposed to be representing the people, not the other way around. We don't take our orders from the political parties and then just do whatever they say. But they tell us that's what we have to do because they're the ones that know the best. They're the ones in there in the fight in Washington, D.C., profiting in unbelievable ways. They're the ones who really know what's going on. They're the leaders, which means we have to follow. Hey, guys, that's completely backwards. The people are the leaders. That's the entire purpose of having a government of, by, and for the people. And the politicians, well, they're public servants. Who are they meant to be serving? The public. Standing before you today, I am the only candidate who can make this promise. I will prevent World War III. I promise. It's not going to be a World War III. And very sadly, there's never been talk like what you're hearing now, because this guy doesn't have a clue how to speak. He's too tough when he should be soft. He's too soft when he should be tough. He says things that are so bad, provokes, and then shows weakness. He, it's the craziest thing. He says just the opposite of what you have to say. I know Putin very well. I know she very well. I know Kim Jong-un. If I didn't Take over from Obama. If he had another year, you would have had a nuclear war with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. You would have had a nuclear war. Then when I got along with him, everyone hated. The fake news hated that I got along. He gets along. Isn't it a good thing to get along with a guy with 5,000 nuclear weapons? That's okay. 
But I did get along with her. I got along with a lot of people that uh, people are surprised, really surprised. That's why we had no wars, and they would have never gone in. And it's so sh all those people dead in Ukraine, far more than you think, far more than they report these phony numbers. The only candidate that can prevent World War Three. Again, that's just true. He is the one person who is reliably opposed to the regime's agenda. The regime's agenda includes war around the world, including and especially between China and the United States. They need that. The relationships with world leaders and Donald Trump are already established. He already has the mutual respect. He talks about it continuously, and the other leaders act in a way that indicates the same. The stories about Donald Trump being rolled by these foreign adversarial leaders are all nonsense. We saw that throughout his term. Donald Trump was going to get us in a nuclear war with North Korea. He mentioned that. That didn't happen. That was supposed to happen under Hillary Clinton as president. They said he colluded with Russia. That was obviously false. Vladimir Putin didn't invade Ukraine while Donald Trump was president. And he didn't take Crimea during Donald Trump's first term either. All of that happened under Obama and Biden. He had good, strong relationships with Xi Jinping, and they don't have to be best friends, but there was no war. We were decoupling from China in trade and production. Donald Trump implemented tariffs that funded our farmers and other industries that kept this country running during these last two and a half years. He has strong relationships with Modi of India, with Bolsonaro of Brazil, with Orban of Hungary, with Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. He's responsible for the Abraham Accords. Donald Trump is the real player on the global stage, not Joe Biden, who's just implementing the global regime's agenda. And sorry, but not Ron DeSantis, who's flying around the world right now to meet with foreign leaders so that people can pretend that DeSantis has foreign policy credentials. And again, sorry, maybe one day he will. Maybe Ron is the best guy ever and we're going to find out someday, but it ain't today and he's not going to get the chance to find out. A few minutes later, Donald Trump dropped this very interesting tidbit about his relationship with Xi Jinping. And I will ask Congress to pass legislation ensuring that drug dealers, drug kingpins and human traffickers receive the death penalty because it's the only way you're going to stop it. You know, I went to China and I had a great time and it was amazing, amazing culture, frankly. And I was with President Xi, 1.4 to 1.5 billion people. I said, you have a drug problem? No, 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 no drug problem. I said, you mean with all these people, you don't have a drug? Problem? No drug problem. Well, what do you ascribe the reason to, may I ask? I think I knew. He said, swift trial. You know, there's no games with it. These people... You know, when you meet with President Xi, he doesn't say, gee, how'd the Yankees do last night? Oh, we have a lovely day. Lovely day. Isn't it beautiful out? Oh, it's so beautiful, Donald. It's so great. He goes, we will immediately proceed to work. And you know what? I love that. I think that's great. There's no bullshit. Okay? I think that's great. 
We will proceed. You meet him for two minutes. We will proceed. There's no no games. Yeah, how, how did the Boston Red Sox do today? No, they don't talk about that stuff. They talk about uh, other things. But I said to him, so what do you think? He says, quick trial. Quick trial. You know what a quick trial is? They take the person, they try the person, and if they're a drug dealer, if they're selling drugs, unfortunately, they have the death penalty. And I don't think this country's ready for it. But they have no drug problem whatsoever. The big drug problem they have is they make drugs and send them into our country, like fentanyl. And even that, I had him set, except for this rigged election, he was set to make that a criminal, uh, an absolute crime, with a death penalty for anybody making fentanyl. But once I left, once this horrible election took place, they, they send more over now than ever before. He was going to give the death penalty. That was his deal with me. He was going to give the death penalty to anybody that produced fentanyl. Can you believe that in China? It's uh, too bad. All these people are dying all over. We're being invaded. It's like a human invasion. So did you catch that? Donald Trump had a deal set up for his second term with Xi Jinping that she was going to prosecute and put to death all of the people on the Chinese side who were involved in the global fentanyl trade. That is a big part of our immigration problem and that is killing thousands and thousands of Americans every year. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Xi Jinping was going to prosecute and put to death those people in China involved in the fentanyl trade. That means the fentanyl problem would be gone or mostly gone. All that we would have had to do to have that happen was to ensure Donald Trump's victory. And now the Republican establishment talks about fentanyl and talks about immigration and how they're the ones who are going to fix that problem. They never exactly tell us how, particularly considering that they have opposed almost everything Donald Trump has done. The uniparty right was not helping Donald Trump get the wall built, was not helping to stop illegal immigration because many uniparty right donors depend on illegal immigration because they want low wage labor. They're exactly who the slave trade benefits, but they want to make deals on amnesty and deals on DACA and deals on spending more on technology to monitor and track the illegal immigration in progress. They say they want to stop the fentanyl trade. Well, they could have done that if they spoke out about stolen elections, fix election fraud, fix everything. If Donald Trump was in office right now, we would not have a fentanyl problem. And that's not a solution that we arrive at through some ridiculous political debate that plays out on television and then Congress passes some worthless bill that just throws a bunch of money at the problem. They tell everybody they're helping. And in the meantime, the Republicans have compromised away more of what the regime needs to help their own agenda. Donald Trump's solution solves the problem at its roots in China. And he does that in coordination with the leader of China, who we're being told is going to wage war on America. And I posted about this on Twitter, and the the funniest replies were people who didn't think that Trump was telling the truth about this, or 
that Trump would have made this deal, but she wouldn't have upheld his end of the bargain. Now, if either of those scenarios are true, there's absolutely no reason why Donald Trump would have brought this up. There's also no reason to believe that either of those scenarios are true. Again, it would be pointless for Trump to lie about this. And the fact is that Xi Jinping and Donald Trump had a relationship of mutual respect. Donald Trump knew what his leverage was, and he used it again on things like the tariffs. This is the difference between actual power and political talking points constructed by consultants. And I'm not trying to pick on Ron DeSantis or people who might really like Ron DeSantis, but he happens to be the guy that's been presented in opposition to Donald Trump. And so the comparison must be made to him as well. Listen to Ron DeSantis talk about virtually anything, and he does not come off as even a serious candidate relative to Donald Trump. If you think that's wrong, I encourage you to watch that speech yesterday in New Hampshire. Go to Rumble, type in Donald Trump, go to Trump's channel and find the most recent video. Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Watch the speech. Donald Trump addresses each and every issue and speaks from personal authority, knowing what he can do in the office, what he has set up what his relationships with world leaders mean to the American people. And he does it with the force and confidence to suggest that he actually knows what he's talking about and what he's capable of accomplishing. There is no comparison to be made to any other candidate in American politics right now. Do you hear anyone else out there talking about declassifying everything? so that the American citizens can know about what's been going on in their government, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission holding people actually accountable for their crimes against America, their crimes against humanity? No, only Trump is doing that. And until someone else can reliably do the same, there's absolutely no other decision that could even be entertained. So another big week and a lot of forward progress. We're going to have more big stuff coming this evening. Garrett Ziegler is going to appear on OAN being interviewed by Chanel Rion. And I don't know what he's going to talk about, but I am told that there is very big news coming tonight. That is at 7 p.m. Eastern. And Garrett is not one to exaggerate. So I would assume that his appearance will live up to the hype. Keep an eye on that, and I hope you all have a good weekend. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. 
And I'll see you soon out on the range. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!